Spread of quantum torpedoes. Shields down to 20%. Give the order or I will, Captain. There is no way Booker's responsible for that attack. It doesn't matter. I lost half my team on my last mission, waiting too long to make a call I knew needed to be made. I will not let that happen again. You said it yourself, the stakes are too high. It's time. Transfer complete. <laughs> Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, setting off on a three-hour tour. (laughs) Was that a Gilligan's Island reference? Absolutely 100%. Yeah, I figured as much, but I was like, what audience are they playing to with that line? (laughs) Mostly, what audience is Dr. Kovich playing to? With that line, especially since it went right over the head uh, heads of, I think, everyone in that room. I mean, that would be the equivalent. Oh, man, what's the time difference there? God, that would be like us making like pop culture references to what, like the year 700? Something like that. Yeah, like the the Dark Ages. (laughs) I mean, I am prone to my Dark Ages references. But um, yes, (laughs) this week we are here to talk about the latest episodes of Star Trek Discovery, Rubicon and Galactic Barrier. Uh, yeah, um, I, I guess I thought Rubicon was some table setting, and uh-huh. I guess they followed it up with Galactic Barrier and more table setting, Cam. Oh, uh, you know, okay, let, let me ask you this. It's not supposed to be a trick question or anything like that. Yeah, uh, um, mm. what is the opposite of love? Hate. You would think so. But what they often say in you know, like toxic relationships, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference, you know, and, and right. a lot of people are in very toxic relationships because, you know, they, they kind of thrive off that hate. It energizes them. They, they, they crave drama. They let, you know, the people, they always love doing that dance, you know, with other people that are, that are no good for them. In this situation, I'm feeling kind of indifference right now because I have no investment in this story. I, I don't even remember anything that happened in Rubicon save for two things, uh, one of which is actually very important I want to get into, but the return of Nan, you know, and the music swells, you know, apparently, according to Burnham, uh, she and Nan go way back, Cam, you know, just like that old <laughs> friend of hers yeah, when she was a courier, but um, let's do the math. Um, she served on Discovery with Nan, with, with uh, Captain Pike for about, I, I'd say if I was being generous, six months, then... Sure. She then Burnham is flung to the future and spends a year with Book. Nan comes back for, I guess, uh, three more episodes in which she and Burnham are together. So they go how far back? You know, it's maybe been a year. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll would you describe somebody uh, you know that you've known for three years as like, yeah, we go way back. Like, I don't like, I don't understand this. 
Maybe when she says way back, she's referring to distance because they've traveled a long period of time together as opposed to actual time together. It's just in terms of, you know, the star miles they've tracked together. Yes. Okay. In terms of light years, they go, they go way yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, th- okay. That, I, you know, I, I can just kind of roll my eyes at. But here's what this show is kind of missing, and this is what I got from it. I am 10 times more interested in picking apart, like, Saru's dating life and the potential for him to you know, date uh, the uh, the uh, Navarre president. Why am I blanking on her name? It's like uh, President Tiana. Tarina. I, Tarina. Yes, thank you, sir. And I like I just even like I, I I've never thought about it, but like I, I guess Saru has never had like a uh, a romantic partner before, you know, and um, it, it it was something that seemed odd to him, and I I think like a uh, Vulcan would be a romantic partner. At first, the direction I thought it was going is like she was going to suggest that she's got Pon Far coming up and oh, that's yeah. why she was like, um, you know, making uh, overtures. And I was like, yes, give me a Pon Far episode uh, anytime. I, I'm down for that. But I, I am way more interested when the stakes are low, like Saru and Dr. Triana, or sorry, President Triana? I, I feel uh, like... Tur- Tarina. Tarina. I, why am I messing that name up? Don't give me credit. I looked it up and wrote it down because I knew I could never remember what it was. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I'm I'm far more invested in those kind of low stakes things that, you know, we saw so much of it in uh, previous Star Trek versus, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just jump very briefly to the Galactic Barrier. I, I, I want to tackle them one by one, but like we find out by, you know, Galactic Barrier that... You know, Earth or Navarre could be destroyed if they don't complete their mission. I'm shocked to hear that, Cam. I, I would not have suspected that, you know, the, the survival of Earth and Vulcan, it depends on this crew that can do anything. That annoyed me, because why not just say it could wipe out, I don't know, whatever, the Gamma Quadrant? Because you're like, well, maybe that could happen. Because maybe they're going to wipe the Gamma Quadrant out of the picture. You know what I mean? Or whatever, Andorra. Or what is it? Andoria? Andoria, right? Well, they've had two. They've called it Andor, and they've also called it Andoria in the past. Right. But like a planet that we could recognize the name of where it's like, they could wipe that out. Like there's no saying you couldn't do it. Kind of like with the movies, wiping out either, you know, Vulcan or, um, you know, the uh, the Romulan home planet where it's like, we just shift the stories from that point forward in terms of, you know, what those species are up to. When they're saying Earth, seems kind of unlikely. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe they thought that because they've already destroyed Vulcan in the Kelvinverse, like, ooh, maybe these people know that we mean business here. So, you know, I don't know. But um, I'm a little confused. You know, I, I don't know how to kind of, like, tackle what they're doing, like, broadly in Rubicon. I, I guess, you know, the, the title... It gets its name from the actions of Book and Tarka here. You know, they've passed the Rubicon, the point of no return, essentially. Hmm. You know, they uh, Tarka is willing to uh, kill Federation officers. And uh, Book gets, you know, in in deeper and deeper with this fellow. Um, sure, you know, but I, I don't know. Like, I... I I didn't quite get anything like really gripping for me. I mean, I, I think the the interaction that Burnham briefly had in the shuttle, while she floated to Book's ship and they talked through windows. I mean, that was nice to look at. I, I guess um, Linus is back. You got that. 
Uh-oh, uh-oh, people, he's going to Linus. We're yeah. really in trouble with this one. Um, I don't know, Kim, your overall thoughts on Rubicon. Rubicon uh, reminded me a lot of the previous episode, All In, where I feel like you could actually get rid of both of these episodes and take some of the plot points, work them into a different episode, and you would never have needed them. Like, we don't really need Book and Tarka sitting, you know, in their ship trying to figure out a problem for an hour. Like, that's not necessary to the overall story they're telling. And I began to question whether the pandemic shooting conditions somehow led to them dragging stories out without coming up with various things. Like, I don't know. I can't explain otherwise why it feels like we're just sitting still for this story for so long. I'll say this. So, I mean, Discovery kind of has a history of stretching out storylines, you know, where not like this, though. I know not where a like lot this. of it seems like kind of like, you know, table setting, you know, and I, uh, you know, like, OK, well, at this point, are you more frustrated the first 10 episodes of season three or the first 10 episodes of season four? I think four, because three, it's a real question of which one do I like more between the two, three you at least had some distinct episodes. You know, you had that two-parter with Giorgio. You had some... I mean, look, as much as we made fun of it, Running Man Planet episode, we kind of remember it. Um, whereas here, they're just kind of blending together. Like, I don't even know what the story of the Great, or the Galactic Barrier really is. Um, and Rubicon, kind of the same. Like, it just feels like we're... <sighs> I don't understand the show because it's like... It's okay if you want to have this big arc that goes through a season, you know, connects your 13 episodes. But, like, if it feels stretched, why not take a break? Why not have that Giorgio two-parter wedged in here? Like, yeah. why not just have a diversion for an episode or two where we can kind of, you know, gather up our energy to kick off the arc again? Like, there could be things that could happen. It doesn't feel like they were particularly inspired by episodes like Rubicon. And I honestly was getting really bored with the... um. I guess it's a nod to Balance of Terror. I don't know the back and forth battle in this episode between, you know, um, the Discovery and then Book in his ship. And it's like, basically, I wrote Kid Glove Combat, where it's like two combatants that don't want to be in a fight. And unlike, um, say, like, you know, Captain America Civil War, where there felt like some was some actual stakes going on here, it was just like, this feels like it's padding out a runtime. What is the name of Book Ship, by the way? I don't remember. Did they ever say? No, I looked it up on Memory Alpha. Like, okay. Isn't it weird we're like two seasons in and it's still just called Book's Ship? Yeah, that is pretty strange. Like, even the shuttles have like names. Like, I, I don't get it. But um, I know what you're saying about padding it out. I also just wonder about that point you brought up of like, how much did COVID kind of affect, you know, things from shooting? You know, we know the whole Jet Reno, Tignataro thing. She's not in as much. Uh, it's creating like some awkward <laughs> um, cuts you know, hmm. on the few moments she is there. And then also she does get name drops, but we don't actually see her in, say, Rubicon. Um, I also do. You, what is up with Commander Bryce this season? <laughs> yes. He, he at one point he was assigned to like the USS Curry for some work. And then now he keeps working with Dr. Kovich and he was in the shuttle pod for Rubicon briefly. He's beamed onto the bridge and immediately runs off the bridge. And Lieutenant Christopher continues filling out his role there. Yeah. 
is this actor? What would there's got to be something going on with the actor though? Because like in the next episode, he has like this really weird farewell scene with like truly bizarre farewell scene with Saru, in which they bring a lot of attention to him and and the work that he's doc- doing with Doctor Kovich. And like Saru's like, I don't know what we're gonna do without Bryce. <laughs> well, tell me what yeah. he is doing because I don't know what he's up to. I don't really know, and I just noticed like in episodes like Stamets this season, he's been in episodes almost every week, but a lot of them are just isolated, you know, in the lab or whatever, or in the um, engine room, and it'll just cut to him basically speaking to a loudspeaker, you know, responding to basically to Burnham through his comm badge, and it's like, a lot of the season feels that way, where it's characters talking to other characters who are in separate rooms, and you do have your bridge crew, we've had, you know, them together the last few episodes, but it just feels like there's a lot of separation between characters where I'm just having scenes of, you know, Saru and Culber in a hallway. Tilly is gone. Um, it just feels like maybe there was some pandemic restrictions on getting these actors together as much as they normally would. But I, I, I've seen so many other TV shows filmed during the pandemic, uh, even like last year, you know, uh, we've seen movies that have been filmed in the pandemic and released already. This is, like, I, I haven't seen anything quite like this. Like, I just wonder if they went overboard with trying to keep people apart. I Look, I, I get it. There's got to be some differences if, like, your writing staff is based in Los Angeles and the production is taking place in Toronto. I Maybe that, they're overcompensating somehow. I, I don't know. But this just seems so over-the-top weird, non-reflective of what I've seen in other media so far during this. I just, I don't know what to make of it. And, and the thing is, the, the big difference here is it, it hasn't been jarring in other shows and other movies I've been watching. It is very jarring here, you know, and, and I, I totally get that the average viewer is probably not really going to pick on that stuff, but it, it, it sticks out to me and it, it just feels, it all adds up to a very weird season. And, and Cam, let me ask you this. Um, after Burnham and after Book, who's the main character of this season? Who Who's had the most to do? Okay, yeah, I was going to say main character. Well, there is no other main characters. Well, I guess Tarka's third place, no, right? No, no, and he's no, not just, a regular. No, no, like the main, of the main characters, the people yeah, that get yeah. to be in the main credits. I guess I would make the... Oh, I feel like both... Culber and Saru have had probably the most screen time. It's not contributing a ton. It's sort of these side stories, but I would say they probably screen time-wise are next to, or following up, you know, in line. Yeah, I, I would say 100% it's Culber. Like, he's like he's had, like, more of kind of a, a an arc going on here. I, I wonder if Saru sticks out just because of the last two episodes. I really don't know what he was doing before that. Like, he was just a captain who had been serving as a first officer for the first eight episodes uh i i just say like none of the other characters in the main credits have been integral to the uh storyline the the overall storyline you know like we have uh adira shows up again um have we been missing adira's character that much for the last little while it's like it, it's not as if they were contributing that much to the direction of the story i i mean i like the character like it's great to see them back again but i don't know it just i it just seems as if the writers really didn't plan out why all the other characters would actually be necessary for the story and kind of doesn't surprise me that that you know we don't have somebody like tilly here and it's just kind of like yeah what, what would she add at this point 
Um, when Gray left to go back and, you know, learn from the Trill and what have you, did they mention that Adira was leaving? No, Adira did not leave. But then I believe what happened in, uh, like, Adira said, I'm going to go on vacation. I think it was like an episode or two later. Like, Adira's like, I'm going to go on vacation to Trill and just go visit Gray. I believe that's hap- that happened in the mid-season finale, um, but to connect. Right, okay connect boy there's a word that uh keeps coming back this season but um well guess what it's not connecting to viewers right now i'll tell you that much (laughs) no and i think like whether you like discovery or don't like discovery the other seasons it felt like it was a pretty unified cast in terms of the storytelling we would definitely have you know quibbles with say there were seasons where stamets didn't get much to do or you can pick you know various characters in each season but like it felt like it was a pretty unified cast together, and that's not the feeling I get this season, where it feels very much like Burnham and sort of a book thing, even though they're separated by distance. And everyone else is kind of just supporting characters, and that's why it really starts to make me question if it's just all weird pandemic um, covering up, you know, in terms of, like, trying to tell a story and cover up the fact you're having production issues. But, like... I, as you said, other shows aren't having these same problems, so it's really confusing. Just seems so overboard. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't have that much more to say in Rubicon, but uh, before we go, um, what were your overall thoughts on the return of Nan? I was excited to see Nan. Um, but I, the new, you know, the lack of breathers. I was like, okay, I, I, that's going to take some getting used to. But again, like. I, I don't know. Like, I like the idea of her being with Starfleet Security now. I'd like to see some return appearances of that character. She's ba- apparently welcome back anytime. So <laughs> sure. why not just why not just add her back to the show? Because we've already seems to have you know we seem to have lost Tilly and Georgiou's gone. Like, why not just add her back? So I guess we'll see. Do you think she'll be back in like a more permanent role? No, I, I think maybe she might pop in here or there, but. I, I still don't understand. What is the difference between Starfleet security and Federation security? I don't have a clue. Nan is in Federation security. Uh, I don't know why they kept saying that. I was just like, what? Huh? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a 32nd century thing. <laughs> but she goes on. She completes her seed vault mission. Her family line doesn't really care that she's some <laughs> person from a thousand years ago. Cam, what if a Smith from the year 1000 came to your door started knocking as like, hey can i stay the night uh no no yeah. <laughs> not a chance <laughs> so i mean i i wouldn't judge her family line too harshly about that you know it's kind of weird it just felt like there could be some interesting conflict there and that there is kind of this kill switch she has but like i was never concerned that that was going to get flipped i never thought you know you're going to wipe out tarka and book you know, at what, episode nine of the season. So it was kind of just felt like trying to inject drama where none could be found. Um, I had a other couple points, though, I'll just mention uh, in this episode. Lightning round, we lightning notable. round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Burnham's sad. Let's fly. <laughs> I had that down, too. <laughs> that was like, hilarious. Okay. Um, another point, you have so many scenes of her trying to negotiate with Book, trying to find this middle ground. And why is, like, Tarka completely ignored in all conversations? Because, look, I, he's integral to the plot and the story. Uh, I can't explain why he wasn't really mentioned there. Yep. 
Um, and then also we had um, Saru referring to his ward, Sukal, which I always appreciate. And that just kind of sent my brain off into a different direction of Saru with his young ward, Sukal. So I wrote down Bruce Saru Wayne and Dick Gray Sukal. There you go. Um, I, was, I was proud of myself over that. And just lastly, the fact we had the destruction of the DMA and then a new DMA popped up. I'm like, yep, this is time feller. This is how you stretch out an hour of TV and then just kind of, in a way, hit the reset button and continue on to the next episode. Now, I apologize if I, like, mumble through this, um, but I'm trying to articulate, like, where they keep going wrong with how they set out their, you know, season-long arcs. And I, I think the problem is, is, like, they jump into it way too quickly, and they keep failing to realize that. Like, what you should be doing is have, like, four or five episodes that are mostly standalone with just hints of something to come. And then you, like, ratchet it up in kind of the, the last half of the season. You don't start with like a big sort of like storyline that is every episode surrounding like in the first half of the season and then you have to pad it out at the last half because then you're just really losing momentum. So I I think maybe episodes 11, 12, and 13, similar to last season, I think that's where things will finally come to a head. But honestly, I thought, you know, Rubicon and, and I also thought that um, the uh, next episode, Galactic Barrier... I thought that's where things would come to a head as well. They kind of failed there. Yeah, I mean, really, what is the story of Galactic Barrier other than the Tarka backstory? The rest of it is just the crew flying through a barrier. Yeah, and guess what? You know, uh, Tarka backstory, let's get into it. Um, I, I like this. You know, this is where they are explaining the motivations behind who's, I guess, turned into the antagonist of the season. And, you know, he had hinted at that. And so we understood his motivations, which frustrated us quite a bit in season one of Picard where we did not know the motivations of you know the antagonists or you know even some of the main characters like Dr. Girardi this they're they're filling out the blanks and it's interesting like the relationship between Tarka and Oros I believe was his uh, friend's name like it, it it looked intimate without it being like sexual like he their arms are or his arm at least Tarka's is wrapped around Oros as you know they're they're doing they're kind of uh, uh, math problems at night, which, um, Cam, you know, when you and I are in Vegas, that is how we go to bed. It's like we stare at the um, stare at the ceilings and our respective queen beds, and we do math problems with each other. It just uh, puts us to bed immediately, <laughs> right? Right? Yep, that pretty much nails it. Yeah. And did you get vibes of hard time from this? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Brian in prison? 100%. And guess what? I, I, yeah. I thought the episode was all the more better for that, you know? It just, like, it, it made me invested in, in Tarka, who I think is kind of the best addition uh, to uh, Discovery we've had since Book was introduced. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and, and they're making Tarka, like, a, a bit of a quirky character with distinctive traits. I understand his motivation, even if I disagree with his means. That is exactly what you want to do with somebody who is ostensibly your antagonist, even though, you know, Species 10C are the big baddies. And my suspicion is they're going to be revealed as something that, you know, will make us rethink things, or at least I hope they do. I don't know. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think they've done well by Tarka. My big fear, though, is by the end of the season, he's going to go all out crazy villain and can't be reasoned with. And then we're going to have to hate him uh, no matter what. Yeah, that's always the concern, because I do think he's... Is he the most compelling character this entire season? Yes. Yeah, like, it feels like the writing on him is actually very sharp, and I don't even know where I stand. Like, do you think they should have had this backstory episode earlier in the season? 
Okay, I, I'm a little conflicted because I, I would usually say, yeah, like, because uh, I think it was introduced like episode four-ish, maybe five. I wonder if that would have been too early, you know? But yeah. I also wonder, like, what would this episode have been about had we not get, gotten, like, the, the backstory here? <laughs> it's a full hour of just going through the barrier. It'll be like the trip to V'ger. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like, it'd just be more, uh, uh, like, moments of them yelling, shields, shields. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care about your shields. This is not what interests me in, in drama. I, I like what interests me is um, personal goals of different individuals conflicting with one another and how they resolve those different motivations and different goals. And, and when I hear, okay, well, okay, we, here's a big conflict between uh, the president, Rillick, who was this the first time that we found out her first name was Lyra? Did that? ring a bell or uh, they may have mentioned it in the, like the first episode of the season but i don't i mean it did not stick if they did okay well uh, admiral vance is on first name basis with president of the federation and uh he sends word that's of course you know the dma could uh, destroy you know uh navarre and earth and so now it's a conflict about whether or not burnham should tell the crew that uh your home planet is about to be destroyed while we're on this super stressful situation and, well, Burnham's argument is, well, a lot of my crew calls Earth home, so they deserve to know. And I'm like, what? Like, they deserve to know? Like, I, I get that, but, like, how does that help anybody in this situation? Like, I, like all it does is just add stress. Like, I, I think w what the argument is like, oh, no, it adds stakes. But as a commander, don't, like, don't you want people in, in like, kind of a non-super stressed sort of mode? I would think so. And also, like, the mission they're undertaking here, this is not just, like, a basic survey mission. This is, like, a potentially dangerous mission where there is no um, <laughs> earlier um, adventures they can call upon. Like, this is unknown territory. This is new frontiers they're going into. And so, yeah, it's, like, very tense. You'd think they would want them really focused as opposed to thinking about like their parents back home and things like that. Speaking of parents back home. Okay. So earth has been super isolationist for 150 years, but Rillick, the president of the Federation, who is a Cardassian Bajoran hybrid, her mother's family is on earth. Apparently. Explain that to me, Cam. <laughs> um, maybe it's just a summer home. Okay, yeah, okay. I will accept that as an explanation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, they really like Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know, yeah, if she's half Cardassian, I could buy that. You know, yeah. kind of the uh, the dry, arid. Or no, was it was Cardassian, like, it was hot, but was it humid or was it arid? Oh, I I feel like arid, but I think maybe it was maybe wrong. I think it was maybe humid. I'm curious now. Okay. 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 Huh. We'll have to look that up on Memory Alpha a little bit later on. So. Yeah. And you know what I found to be the bit of the problem here? I kind of like the idea of the president being on the ship. And again, conflict between your characters. Having Burnham and her have to have these back and forth about what to do about the crew. And, you know, about the president's just where she is right now, just emotionally and mentally. I think that's kind of interesting. But it felt a little too much like the previous episode with Nan where you also had Burnham and her going back and forth about, you know, the mission. And in that case, it was a kill switch. And it's just like, maybe they should have separated these two stories by a little bit. Yes, I I, I just think that, like, that there seems to be such a lack of direction with regards to the story. I think it could have just been plotted out 
a little bit better. Like, I just, I, I can't help but feel that they had about four episodes worth of story for a 13-episode season. Like, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but I just, I don't know how else to explain it. Where, like, I don't care about these, like, casino planets that look to be, like, the saddest little, like, run-down MMA octagon that you'd ever find in, like, <laughs> Pahrumpf, Nevada or something like that. So it's just kind of like, like, it, it, I don't know. It, it, and even, like, kind of the little um, cadet adventure that we got earlier on in the season, like, that still kind of annoys me. It just, it feels as if, like, there's just so much filler Whereas, like, the stuff going on with, say, Saru and the Navarre president, like, find, like I find so much more compelling. The, the stuff going with Tarka and Oros, I find so much more compelling. It's it's when the stakes are lower, that's where I'm digging it, versus, like, being told yet again that planets will be destroyed if we don't get to the bottom of this gravitational anomaly. My heart really sunk when we got down to the planet that was the Emerald Chain base. And it was like Book and Tarka just like in the bushes <laughs> while looking at this base. And I was like, oh, no, please don't tell me I've got a whole episode of them breaking into some old base trying to dodge former Emerald Chain people <laughs> to get like an energy source like that is going to be brutal. But I, I am glad they sidestepped that and actually gave us an emotional, compelling story just for Tarka there. What do you make of the uh, the cloak ship, though? Um, The what? The which cloak ship? They're at the base, and a cloak ship departs the base. Right, yeah. And it has no impact on the story. Nope. <laughs> I, like, is it going to be, like, a key cog in this tapestry of a storyline that they've developed um, in the next episode? That there's a cloak ship there? I don't know. That, or they just wanted to inject sort of a tiny kernel of potential danger? Like, these two could face a threat that they never did or like there are people around this base i i have no idea but within like the next scene like there's zero sense of any danger yeah like that's why i'm just yeah. I'm, i i the problem is i i am constantly question these creative decisions in which like i like to like work things out in my head and try to justify things in my head uh, about like why this may have happened even if it wasn't totally like spelled out on screen like i like doing that like i like ambiguity with uh some of the the tv shows and and the movies that i watch because it helps me think critically about what's going on but so much of the decisions here in discovery this season is just like i have no idea like i i can't even like headcanon it or, or or justify it and it just it just seems as if maybe there's maybe a lot of cut scenes or something like that like i don't know it feels like a lot of it just feels like artificial ways to try to trump up a moment of excitement or something like that's what that ship over top felt like it felt like they were going to break into some base that you could have that ship come back or something like there could be a threat now you never felt any sort of suspense or tension once that ship was gone but it feels like they're often just filling minutes with this show and like some of the episodes are i think this uh great uh, galactic barrier episode i'm gonna keep calling it great barrier by mistake but yeah the galactic barrier episode it felt like I mean, it's a 50-minute episode. Why? Like, you know, you look at a lot of episodes of, say, Mandalorian, and they're like 40 minutes. And I'm never like, boy, that felt rushed and unsatisfying. You could have cut this episode down. Like, a lot of it, in terms of them going through the barrier, felt too long. The trip to the base felt a little bit too long. Like, cut out the ship overhead. Who cares? Like, it's okay to cut it down. It doesn't make your show lesser if the episode is a little shorter. Yeah. Um... 
Any final thoughts before we kind of, there's a lot of news uh, to delve into and also maybe at the end of this one, we kind of uh, talk a little bit about Star Trek Picard, which will be premiering uh, season two in just one week. But any final thoughts here? Yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, Burnham's speech at the end to the president felt like if you were to go to a card aisle and read out the sappiest cards you could to each other. Like it was just like. (laughs) On Star Trek Discovery? (laughs) <laughs> I know it's just like this one in particular just really smacked me of like oh boy this is this is really rough stuff to sit through I, I, I don't know why they do things like this yeah um just a note I, I did like seeing uh actor uh Hiro Kanagawa as Dr. Harai uh as kind of the the quirky guy eating like pistachios <laughs> at the uh the council table there um I guess like kind of the communications expert um I don't know. He's been in pretty much every television show ever filmed in Vancouver. So um, he's he was also like a writer on uh, one of my favorite Canadian uh, drama series um, as well. And so um, yeah, uh, I, I I suspect this is not the last we've seen of him. Although I don't know, um, are we going to see you know Federation headquarters again before the yeah, episode thirteen? I, uh, who knows. Well, I mean, that's a question for you. What is going to happen with Kovic? Like, what the heck was David Cronenberg even talking about at the start of this episode? I don't know, Cam. I don't know. Like, communication, connection, you know, you got it. I I mean... (laughs) Did you get the confirmation bias joke? No. I didn't get it either. Yeah, I mean, I'm not smart enough, but... Uh, I I mean, mean, I know what confirmation bias is, but I didn't... Yeah. Quite... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, it like I feel like Kovic is turning into the Riddler. He just says things that I don't understand because they're gonna reveal it all later. Do we even know what his job is? It's unclear. <laughs> I like he's Doctor Kovic. He wears a Starfleet Delta. He doesn't have a rank. He is intimately involved not with just with Starfleet but with the goings on of the Federation. I, he's he's in like civilian clothes, um, I don't know. I, I I think they like the ambiguity. Like we still don't actually know what Stamets's like official position is on the ship. You know, Reno is still I guess technically the chief engineer, even though we haven't seen her in a while. But uh, he's always an engineer. I don't know. There's there's just so much ambiguity here that uh, kind of makes it more frustrating for a show that that's supposed to be drawn in fans interested in kind of these universes that that are built brick by brick and these are some of kind of the easy things that they should have tackled already and it feels like kovich is a character just created to engineer surprises in the season because he knows more than the viewer does and he just kind of teases these morsels that don't really mean anything but you just kind of go okay well i guess he's gonna reveal something later um i just had one other note more about the season i guess than about this specific episode but like this whole zora evolution really has fallen flat yeah. like what are they even doing with this <laughs> i don't know yeah well, i keep okay every time they name check her like i keep forgetting that uh cadet zora is a thing again and like they had a big huge like episode devoted to her with stormy weather and then what for the last four episodes they kind of like she's just in the background now so it seems yeah i don't really get it and i mean i do appreciate the connection though she's voiced by annabelle wallace who was the star of Alex Kurtzman's The Mummy. Oh, well, there you go. She's also married to Chris Pine, or at least they're partners. And maybe we'll get into that in just a moment. But I uh. do, do you think that it's up to Zara 
to be the one that ultimately communicates with 10C? Maybe there's some of that organic sphere data that uh, she taps into? If that is not the case, then I don't understand what we spent multiple episodes um, dealing with our consciousness about. Yeah. All right. Well, Cam, I alluded to it, but, uh, you know, uh, so apparently when Paramount announced... (laughs) That, um, it's all about communication. That, all about communication. Yeah. <laughs> when Paramount announced last week that uh, they were going to do a uh, another Calvinverse film, you and I were pumped for that. And they said, you know, and now we will commence, you know, uh, negotiations with the, uh, the the cast. And it's like, okay, it sounds like standard Hollywood stuff. You know, I'm sure they're like kind of little uh, eyes to dot and T's to cross here. Um, but the reports in the trades uh, essentially saying like all the cast members are completely caught off guard by any sort of an, uh, announcement like this, that there's going to be a, a movie. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, way to blow all your leverage when negotiating Paramount. Like if you thought that you're going to try to screw over Chris Pine for uh, out of his contract a couple years ago when he was going to do the Chris Hemsworth, George Kirk meets uh, James Kirk movie uh chris pine's gonna get those dollars back like believe you me and i think that you're gonna have um zach quinto and carl urban playing hardball i don't know like zoe saldana like she's high in demand will they pay for more of those peripheral characters to come back you know maybe like your scotties or your sulus or your uhuras as well like i i don't know but they've certainly lost all their negotiation uh leverage there and I think the price has gone exponentially up for those characters. I don't understand how this happened because uh, I believe it was J.J. Abrams that announced it. And it's like, why would you not have that figured out before you announced the movie? Like, this isn't a normal thing that happens. We don't come across a lot of stories of like, you know, Marvel announcing movies where the actors aren't under contract already. Like, this isn't something that tends to happen in modern Hollywood. So I just thought this was head scratching well from what i gather though uh sherry redstone who's now essentially like in control of paramount at this point after uh you know resting it away from other investors over the years uh taken over from uh, her her father sumner redstone i think what she wanted to do is kind of present you know this big giant media machine during the investor presentation last week uh one that would be ripe for plucking and instead, share prices just like dropped quite a bit last week. And so I thought maybe she figured, ah, don't need to worry about those small little details if this is like kind of this mammoth machine that uh, somebody else will be willing to acquire. So I think it was just maybe that part of a big mess calculation on the part of the executives there at Paramount. Hmm. Well, um, it's just going to lead to them paying more. And beyond, I think, cost $180 million. And like, in theory, you don't want to spend that again, <laughs> given like box office revenue right now and the way, you know, that audiences are basically not turning out for anything outside of superhero movies. I don't know that I would have been like putting myself in a position of like potentially paying more than what they paid on beyond. But like I look at my favorite Star Trek movies and it's the ones that had like like $25 million budgets that... Mm-hmm. really spoke to me uh I'm, I'm not saying that's what's going to get you know mass audiences globally out there but i think you can have like a couple big huge sequences that'll grip people and then you can use marketing and then i don't know why don't make just essentially like a bottle episode out of a, a big blockbuster movie and also do, does every single movie need to be like two hours and, and 20 minutes now like make this like a 95 to 105 minute long movie 
and your budget goes down too. I think it's tough when you're dealing with a returning cast who's coming back for a fourth movie because that's where negotiations with actors fees really get high. But I do agree with you. You know, you look at a movie like Joker or Venom. Those movies actually cost like I think 80 million or something. Like they were basically hedging their bets like okay, we don't know if this will work, so let's just you know, get interesting actors, um, keep the budget low, and uh, we'll see how it does. And in both cases, those movies were of differing quality, I would say, but like people turned out for them and they were genuinely liked. So I think at least going forward, I don't know if that'll be the case for a fourth Kelvin verse where I just think it'll be probably fairly expensive just covering the actors. But like in the future of Star Trek, when they are rebooting it with a new concept or new cast, I'd be looking at that model a lot more than I would trying to compete with the next Star Wars movie. Yeah, you know, okay, and the other thing is, like, in these movies, the stakes always have to be high. Whereas in Star Trek, the reason it's worked on TV so well over the years is because typically the stakes were much lower. You know, the stakes were, you know, whether or not Julian Bashir would have a career after, you know, Starfleet finds out that he was genetically altered. That's not about the end of the world. That is about um, a man's existential dilemma right there, you know, whereas it it seems as if one of the issues that we have with Discovery, though, is like the stakes have to be just as high as what they are in the cinematic universe and stretched out over, you know, 13, 14, 15 episodes. It's just it doesn't really work for us that well. No. And I mean, I'm I'm going back to the older films, you know, Wrath of Khan is generally regarded i don't know what would you what would you say is like the one that more of a mainstream audience would say would be the best of the you know pre-kelvin verse star trek movies i I, like mainstream audiences we're talking about people that are still alive it's got to be first contact first contact okay well yeah i mean i guess like you look at that or you look at voyage home there are big stakes because you know you have the probe that could cause a lot of damage in um, Voyage Home. But, like, that's not, honestly, I don't think what the audience cares about. It's just the the Enterprise on Earth dealing with, like, the whales or, you know, in First Contact, going back in time and having to, you know, help Cochrane launch the first mission. I think it's those individual, small, you know, dramatic stories that the audience cares about. I don't think they walk out being like, man, I loved when the Borg were going to invade Earth or I loved when, you know, the probe was going to knock out, I don't know, everything in its path. Uh, I think people are mostly just fascinated by the uh, the big suction cups at Starfleet headquarters that we saw in uh, Star Trek IV, and the whale probe started, uh, you know, making storms in San Francisco. Well, that was very much us. That's what yeah. we wanted. I mean, yeah. if you had the money and they put those suction cup things up for auction, <laughs> would you be tempted to buy it? Okay, like I. Where else could I put this money, though? I mean, you just have a lot of money. Could I give it to starving? Ch- could I give it to starving children in Africa instead of like buying suction cups that will have like absolutely no use to me? You've won the lottery. Okay. You're okay for money. You've already made a lot of charitable contributions. You've got a lot of side money, and they put these up for auction. Are like, you tempted to buy I, them immediately? Like I know what you're saying, but then I keep thinking about like, where the f am I going to put these things, and what am I going to do with them? And like people will come into my mansion and be like, "What are those things?" And I'd have to explain every single time. Right? It's just, I'd get a lot of weird looks. Like I, I know what you're saying. I think I'd ultimately have to pass, despite the hilarious joke. 
If you were to buy them, would you keep them in like a display case or would they be like propping up a window? They'd have to be propping up a window because they're so yeah, stupid. Okay. Like people, yeah, people, just if you don't know what we're talking about, go look at Star Trek 4. And um, when Starfleet headquarters is trying to deal with the pounding rain, there's two Starfleet officers that come in with giant suction cups that they put against the window and the floor to keep the windows from collapsing. And it's it's, it's so bizarre. It's it's in the background. You have to keep your eyes open for it. It's amazing. If I can find a photo, I'll post okay. it in the uh, show notes for the blog <laughs> this you. week. Thank you. I will be on uh, Trek Core scouring their screen caps. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, Cam, another thing to bring up, though, is uh, Prodigy Toys are on their way. Um, I might be a lottery winner, but I don't know if I'll be a Prodigy Toy buyer, personally. Um, they kind of remind me of, like, the ones that you get in, like, Happy Meals, you know, that, that sort of stuff. You know, they, they are, they have, like, different points of, what are they called? Points of flexibility or points of articulation. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I like. I kind of wish that we had something more like a, a USS Protostore Star sort of toy, like rather than, you know, like a, a a Zero toy. Which I don't know how much fun that will actually be. I think it. You know, in terms of the target market, which I would assume would be kids. I don't know if kids buy action figures these days, but in theory, kids. Like I think these look pretty good. They're good translations of the animated characters, and I. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, a lot of the time toys didn't look so much like the characters you saw on TV. Um, nowadays with sculpting techniques, I think they look pretty fantastic. I wonder if some people would be interested, maybe not people who are into, you know, prodigy toys, which feel a little more younger skewing, but I wonder if like Chakotay or Janeway toys could sell quite well. Now, are you all in for Hologram Janeway or for Admiral Janeway, if you're going to invest in any of those toys? You can only pick one. Yeah. You can only pick one. Um, I think I would probably go Hollow Janeway. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, she's had the biggest impact so far this season. The only thing is she does look a lot like the Janeway that we already know and which toys exist of her. So I wonder if it'd just be cool to finally say, hey, I've got a uh, an Admiral Janeway uh, figure at this point, too. Um. Just a question. Does Hollow Janeway flicker like the holograms on Discovery? Uh, I don't know. I, I, um, well, by holograms on Discovery, uh, do you mean like the uh, subspace communications that we sometimes yeah. see? Yeah. So that's an entirely different thing, right? Yeah. Like, um, I, I haven't noticed Hollow Janeway flickering, but I also think it's because they have like dedicated hologram projectors throughout the Protostar. Right. Okay. I was just curious. I was wondering why in the 32nd century they haven't figured that one out. But uh, yes, nonetheless, um, I think the Hollow Janeway figure would be pretty cool to have. And um, I am interested just as this, as uh, Prodigy keeps going and, you know, they start to expand that line, hopefully, that we could see some cool other types of figures. Because obviously the first ones out of the line are going to be the obvious choices. So I think it'll be more cool when we get some of the other aliens they encounter along the way and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. Here's one thing that uh, I wonder if you're interested in uh, purchasing, though. But um, it was announced today that uh, we'll be getting a Star Trek Lower Decks mobile game uh, coming sometime. It, it's actually being developed here in Vancouver in collaboration with a, a, another studio in Australia. Um, I'm just wondering, like, what kind of little uh, Lower Decks tasks uh, 
<laughs> will end up doing. But they said that they'll be uh, keeping up with kind of the uh, the humor of the show as well. And the company behind it, um, they've done things like uh, games for like Cheech and Chong and Trailer Park Boys. And so I think they want to keep up with kind of the, uh, the the continuity of the, or at least the visual and I guess thematic continuity of the Lower Deck show. It could be interesting. Like I wouldn't mind giving it a little uh, a little bit of a play myself once it's released in a few years. Yeah, I'm not someone who plays mobile games. I don't think I... Oh, you know what? I did play a Jaws one some years ago that was pretty fun, I guess. But yeah, it's not something that really grabs me, but I would probably try out a um, Lower Decks one just so we could report back on the podcast, our experience playing it. And I do think it lends itself to something fun. And if they can maybe get some actor voices in there or something like that. And as you said, fun tasks that feel a little bit outside of um, the Star Trek norm, because I think it'd be a lot easier to just make your typical, you know, like the flight simulator type games like that <laughs> TNG Super Nintendo game I right. <laughs> we played once. You know, things like that aren't the most interesting to me. But if it's something lower deck spirit, that could be really fun because it's going to be outside of what you would expect from a standard Star Trek game. How have you avoided the Wordle cult that has arisen in the last few months? It's literally just not even bothering to look into it. That's pretty much what it is. Why not? Don't care. <laughs> I've got I'm too busy doing other things. Like what? I do a lot of podcast editing. That okay. is what most of my free time is spent doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying like if you played Wordle, you would continue to play it. You'd like it. Yeah, I I just haven't played any I guess I used to do like words with friends back in the day, but I just don't do any sorts of things like that anymore. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. So we got Star Trek Picard coming up next week. I, I, I think we mentioned it before, but uh, we, our plan is to cover Picard episode one and we'll do you know the next episode of Discovery as well and then kind of go from there. So we've got like guaranteed like three weeks of just like nonstop recaps of Star Trek shows. Um, so here, here's my fear, Cam, is that we're, we're going to get a season premiere in which you and I, we're, we're going into it with uh, like all good intentions here. We're keeping our minds open. But my fear, though, is like they're going to have the, the premiere start with like, hey, here's what life is like for, you know, uh, the La Serena crew. Then, you know, things start going weird. Q appears and then it's kind of ends on a cliffhanger. You know, I, I just, I fear we're going to be very underwhelmed by the season premiere. And so I don't want that to cloud my judgment going further. I just think that they've designed the season for it to just have this storyline stretched out very much like we're experiencing right now. And it might not even become clear to us what's really going on for at least a couple episodes. So I'm, I'm keeping an open mind. I don't expect to be blown away next week, though. Yeah, my guess is it's sort of the, uh, you know, slow acceleration on the gas. So the first season, or sorry, first episode of the season will be just kind of a table setting for where we're going to go and reintroducing some of these characters. Um, uh, the thing is, normally I wouldn't be anticipating a Picard premiere that much, especially after season one, um, or I should say just because of season one. But with Discovery being where it is right now i'm actually just anticipating something different yeah. from live action trek because i just if my life is hinging on weekly discovery episodes for my <laughs> trek content to keep me intellectually engaged 
I got nothing. I got nothing at this point. I know. Isn't that, that's just so damning, though, just against Discovery, where I just, it, it's like, I remember where we were a couple years ago, where we got to the season two finale, and we're like, yes, Discovery has finally figured itself out. It's got a mission. It knows where it's going. It's going to be cool to see how it unfolds. And it's just been two seasons of utter disappointment. Now, you did a rewatch of season three not too long ago. You know, where you are right now in season four, like, could you imagine sitting and rewatching season four? Um, uh, so, <laughs> so what, what had happened, like, uh, we've been doing, like, the episodes where we kind of, like, do them in bunches, and what I was doing is I'd watch them the week that they would come out, and then just before, like, in the hours leading up to when we'd record, I'd watch them again and then take notes, just so, so I just wanted a moment where I could just kind of sit with every episode and absorb and take it all in and um after that like pod of episodes that include like stormy weather i've just decided to give up on that strategy like i just i, I can only watch these once and take notes at the same time and then comment on them because the prospect of having to watch them multiple times i've just uh, it, it does not appeal to me and i i guess like i i would honestly be more interested in going back and rewatching season three than rewatching season four at this point. Yeah, because it, you know, season three is more like peaks and valleys, and the the valleys get very low. But some of the peaks are, oh God, I hesitate to even say peaks, but like there there's some interesting episodes here or there. Yeah, um, I like people. Whereas, Earth, like I liked, uh, yeah. forget me not. You know, the first part of the um, George O two parter is yeah, pretty good. Yeah. But like um, in season four, what's the highlight for me? Is the season premiere. Yeah, well, that's because it was promising, you know, things. It had potential, but I wonder if I went back and rewatched that premiere, I'd just be like, okay, well, I know where this is going. I know, like, because think about it, it's like <laughs> the episode two doesn't lead off with just like depressed book, like, you know, it's just so it's just kind of a bummer from there on out, and. To me, one of the joys of Star Trek isn't just watching Star Trek, it's re-watching Star Trek. I think that's why the franchise is so popular, is because fans continue to revisit TNG and DS9, TOS, all these shows, and want to soak up sort of that atmosphere and hang out with those characters again. And I just don't think Discovery is giving people a reason to want to rewatch these shows over and over again. The, the prospect of me having to rewatch that MMA sequence is just frightening. Like, I just thought it was <laughs> so bad and, like, it was, like, so poorly acted and they were telegraphing the entire time that they're just hustling them. And, because not... Did you think for one instance that this giant white guy was literally just going to, like, beat the crap out of a, a small woman of color and that was going to be it? Like, I'm just being honest. We know where like TV is at. We're not going to have depictions of this kind of violence, and, and which is good. Which is good. I'm just saying it's this kind. Of, what what it does though, it, it saps all the tension out of those kinds of sequences because you know how it's going to end up. Yeah, I I don't know. My sister just caught up with that episode, and she was just like, "What is this show doing?" <laughs> I don't. I just don't understand anymore because she was really really on board for you know seasons uh, like two especially. And actually, I think she liked one quite a bit, too. So, uh, yeah, it just feels like it's a show at this point designed to lose people. And I know shows as they age, you know, with each consecutive season tend to, you know, lose viewers as they go. But it feels like Discovery at this point, 
I just don't see the excitement. And you've mentioned this before. You know, you look at, say, like Facebook groups and look at the number of comments on a episode of Discovery Now versus, you know, season two. Big difference. But you understand why. In some cases, with shows where you go, oh, no, that should not be the case. Like, the show's gotten better. And that's not what's going on here. Just out of curiosity, Kim, do you notice, like, with regards, like, you you know this, I, I'm out of the loop here, but with regards to downloads, are were we getting more downloads in Season 1, 2 of Discovery than we are now in, at this point in Season 4? Yes. Seasons 1 and 2 did actually very well. Very well. Like, up above average downloads. People were really interested, uh, especially Season 1. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's probably brighter for us to be bunching these together as opposed to spreading them out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, like I said, folks, the plan is uh, we'll be doing uh, Picard and Discovery three weeks in a row, and then I think we'll determine whether we want to keep doing, you know, Picard every week, just like, you know, we, we, we did that with Lower Decks. Uh, we did that with Season 2 of Discovery. I, I think it would be fair to do that with Picard Season 2. But, Cam, I, I think those first three episodes really need to sell us. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when we were doing those blogs on Season 1 Discovery? Yeah. Imagine if you were still doing them. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's darker than any alternate dimension you'll see in Picard Season 2. <laughs> yeah, Cam, if you want to post a link to like our uh, Subspace blog, it, it's actually a lot of fun there because it, it's where we put all our rankings of like main characters, recurring characters, the best seasons, all that sort of stuff. But if you dig down to like, the, the, the very start of the blog, um, it, it's easy to find. You'll see us doing like recaps or like just analyses of you know the first season episodes of Discovery, and it's just like I I could not devote that much thought and energy to the show at this point anymore. Yeah, just go to subspacepod.com, and on the right side there's a link to the uh, Subspace Transmissions blog. Yeah, like those are really fun, and we didn't do them in season two, but I could have because I found season two episodes pretty interesting as well. Um, but I can't imagine at this point. I just, I can't imagine. I can't imagine dedicating that much of my week. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next time? I just told everybody, Cam. But, um. That's right. In the, in the meantime, uh. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook and also please just go to your podcatchers, give us five stars. And also maybe the more important thing though is leave a review. Just write something out. Uh, It helps more people find the show. And again, we're free. We're not making you listen to ads. So that's all uh, I'll ask you to do there as a favor to us. Yeah. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in vanishing crew member Bryce Smith. And you can find me at Reportin'. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And as a nobody loves Nan. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. complete.